Welcome to Cannabis New York. In each episode, you'll get a behind-the-scenes look at the cannabis business. Two leaders in the industry tell all, Elizabeth Case and Jerry Kremer. From the law firm of Ruskin Moscow Faltacek. You can find this show at www.rmfpc.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Now, here are the hosts of Cannabis New York, attorneys Elizabeth Case and Jerry Kremer. Hi, this is Jerry Kremer, and I'm joined by my my uh, co-partner, Elizabeth Case. Uh, Hi, Jerry. And, and you'll hear from uh, a lot from the two of us today. Uh, lawsuits are flying. Uh, uh, the legislature is finally, we think, uh, done the right thing. Uh, we'll find out more about it once we get to Liz. Uh, the last number we heard about illegal sites selling uh, cannabis, uh, also known as pot, you know, is something like 1,800 around the states. If you travel into Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Queens, you'll see smoke shops shops on only every other corner, which uh, unfortunately means that uh, that pot uh, cannabis is being sold illegally. No revenue for the state, uh, no criminal enforcement, and so something happened in Albany. And Liz, why don't you give us an update, and we'll sort of go back and forth as to whether it's real or not. Well, from what I understand, and I'm no lobbyist, but I hear that this year's budget was called the Big Ugly. And I think it was called that for for all the things it was trying to accomplish and uh, how it got extended beyond its deadline. One of the things that was incorporated into the budget this year was cannabis reform, um, which is timely considering what we've been discussing, Jerry. Uh, I think 1,800 illegal shops is basically an estimate for the city alone. I've heard numbers going up as as high as 4,000 statewide. And so really what has happened since MURDA passed in 2021 is a proliferation, a proliferation of illegal uh, stores because there has been no enforcement. Cannabis was decriminalized by MURDA, which basically gave unofficial license to anybody who ever was in the cannabis industry space to start selling, not fearing for cops enforcing law. Now, in 2023's budget, uh, Governor Hochul signed this week, it actually did provide for more enforcement and for the ability of the Attorney General's office to go after uh, illegal pot shops all over the state um, to bring actions in the Supreme Court and to basically allow for injunctive relief, tax penalties and fines, and even uh, further uh identifying a a penal law statute that would in fact address these illegal stores. So it's a step in the right direction for um, notifying and alerting the populace, hey, these stores are illegal. They aren't what you were intended to shop in. We are not receiving tax collection from them. They could have illegal, uh, they certainly have illegal, but they could have dangerous product that is not lab tested or regulated in the slightest. And we as a state have finally said enough is enough. Uh, We have to go after these states while the state is in fact issuing uh, licenses to the regulated businesses. Now, Liz, I noticed that uh, that given the power to go after these uh, stores, if you will, to the Department of Taxation and Finance, and also the Cannabis Board it's to do inspections. But yes. I looked at the state budget and I don't see any extra money in there 
for these inspections. Oh, so, that's you a know, good point. So, right. what's, so what's your thought about tax evasion? That's great. So with increased enforcement comes an increased need for budget, uh, for uh, actually fortifying and paying for all of these uh, different investigations that we expect will ensue. And first and foremost is um, the ability for uh, law enforcement to go in and inspect product to see if it is appropriately taxed, if it is, um, if it's illegal or illicit. And by the way, Jerry, this isn't just for the illicit storefronts that are open. This is actually giving um, the birth for the licensed dispensaries to also be inspected because the state is foreseeing the potential for the illegal or illicit product to weave its way into the legitimate or the uh, licensed dispensaries, if you will. So there's going to be a lot more cops on the beat looking at this. It will be very interesting to see how quickly they can start to uh, shut down these illegal stores. It also provides for landlord ability to evict. And that's a critical change. Um, and I think, you know, as we've seen with other lawsuits, there may actually be some indication that th the state will also not stand for landlord collusion in um, allowing landlords to feign ignorance if they are leasing their properties to illicit shops. There may be responsibility on their part to also vet their their tenants a little bit more carefully. Yeah, well, you know, I think, Liz, I, I think you, you mentioned two key points. Number one, uh, they can go after landlords. And I think that's a critical factor because a landlord can't make believe he doesn't know what's going on, you know, in a premises that he's leased, um, unless it's a premises in, in Ohio and it, we're a landlord in New York. But these are all landlord-owned properties in New York. Um, I also think that they changed the, the definition of tax fraud. Did they do something on that? Well, they widened the, the indication of what it would be. So essentially, um, not having tax revenue collected, uh, selling product without the tax element that is promised in MURDA becomes its own civil penalty right. under this budget. So th they, can, they can collect upwards of $100,000 on the illicit shop that's not collecting. Uh, there are also daily penalties, which will start to accrue once the fraud is identified. I so, did notice know, one. I did notice one thing, Liz, is the the inspectors, uh, if they show up from the Department of Tax and Finance or the Cannabis Board, they can't go into a private home, if you will, and start looking around for product. Uh, if that private home may have some, some kind of sign inviting people to come in, that's one thing. But if they don't have a sign and it's just a rumor that pot's being sold from some particular premises, they can't just go in. They've got right. to follow the they same They better get a search warrant. It falls under the Fourth Amendment. And so basically what, what I think this law is indicating is that there is a less a lesser expectation of privacy for a store that is open to the public um, that has that type of commercial angle. And at any time, a inspector and an inspector can come in and have a look-see. And they I cannot think, turn them away. And I think our viewers should know that the the cannabis law now is a couple of years old. Uh, you know, the licensing process has finally begun, but the state of New York today hasn't gotten one nickel in revenue from cannabis sales. Uh, and at one time it was anticipated that they were going to get like $250 million annually. And that was going to be just the beginning. 
But in the meantime, you know, no money, no anything. So tell me about the fines and the penalties. Okay, so basically, um, you know, we don't know yet, day to day, hour to hour, how much New York State is collecting on the uh, less than 10 stores that are operational right now. Um, And to that end, Jerry, product is amassing all over the state in the conditional cultivator farms. So on 420, uh, Crystal People Stokes actually uh, set forth the Cannabis Crop Rescue Act uh, it was also introduced by Lupardo um, so that they could attempt to sell the product that is being grown across the state. There's a log jam. There's a problem. The problem is that the actual regulated product is not getting onto storefront shelves because the storefronts are still yet to open. And that is why we've seen a proliferation as well of illegal shops, because essentially the state is, um, you know, incapable, it seems, of rolling out a uh, real regulatory scheme that is fast enough to keep up with demand. That said, that said, there's going to be an opportunity, potentially, this bill has just been set forth, it has not yet been passed into law. uh, And and a lot of people thought this was a laughable act to allow uh, farms, these small farms that were granted licensure last year to actually now become cannabis vendors. Um, but what I'm hearing is that, no, this is no joke. This is a real opportunity and a stopgap measure to allow the cultivators, t- their their products to not go wasted, to not get moldy, to not get old and stale. Um, if there isn't enough of a chain to get to a, an established retailer, that in fact, cannabis cultivators might be in a position to sell their own product. I think, Liz, uh, we, we should give ourselves a mutual pat on the back. We got one of the first growers licenses, if you will, when the, when they were issued for a client in Suffolk County, unnamed. But that client now is four weeks away from having a sellable product. Uh, and as of this point in time, uh, the way things are going, they, they need to have a customer. Uh, the customer right. might be a medical marijuana operation. But beyond that, uh, you know, other than breaking the law, which they don't want to do, uh, you know, how, how do we, what What do they do in the meantime, except wait for bill to pass? So there is, there are some customer bases and delivery has started. So this is also an interesting development in the last couple of weeks. For instance, we have lots of licenses issued on Long Island. However, we do not have an active storefront. The, just this week, it has been reported that the first delivery came into Nassau and Suffolk counties. And that delivery was actually, uh, Uh, started up in the capital region. So a capital retailer was the first sale to a customer by delivery on Long Island. It's actually pretty fascinating that that cannabis product could make the journey from so far away. This sort of is is the argument of the dysfunction personified, right? We know that there are many growers on Long Island. We know that there are many license holders on Long Island, but we cannot get from A to B. Instead, it's going up and down from the capital region down back south again. It's unnecessary. And so, um, you know, the, the Cannabis Crop Rescue Act is trying to address this while the, the license holders that actually went through that vetting process, they were issued licenses, they cannot find storefronts. New York State did not provide them for them. There was no DASNY fund to help them locate real estate. And so they are holding licenses, but they do not have storefronts. So in the meantime, those that do in other parts of the state are able to deliver in, but no tax revenue is coming to the local municipalities 
where these deliveries are being received. Well, I think Liz also, you know, when you let, let's let's talk about the ridiculous chain that we had. They gave growers licenses. And long after they gave growers licenses, they decided to give out the licenses for the laboratories to inspect the product. And they should have given out the laboratory licenses first, and then the growers, uh, and, and then if you will, the, the, you know, the, the license for the growers to grow. So now all of a sudden you find that the, that all these different things are happening, which should have really should have happened a long time ago. And, 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 you know, the chain is, uh, there, there are very few retail dispensaries right now. And at least if you'll remember the first one, the license they issued was given to a not-for-profit corporation. That's so there's right. no tax revenues from them. So let's get back to penalties for people who are caught selling pot. Right. I understand the legislature has passed some major, major penalties. They have. Um, but, you know, for a lot of these illicit operations, these major, major penalties might be chalked up to the cost of doing business. You know, a $100,000 fine to a very well-established illicit uh, market may, may be, you know, a week's worth. It's not it's not potentially not going to shut them down. We're going to find that out. Um, but that, that's what the, the new laws are establishing. They're establishing a basis where it could be between $5,000 up to $100,000, depending upon what they are accused to have done uh, and over the course of how prolonged um, and how repetitive their illegal conduct is. But now, these Liz, are civil penalties, Jerry. Now, the, the, this is the next question. Okay, so the cash penalties. But what about crime? Somehow it seems that with all the laws we have on the books in New York State, it seems like we, we don't have a, a crime that matches these illegal cannabis sales. Did they do anything? Okay, so that's kind of an interesting point, And it's it's true and it's not true. So when cannabis was decriminalized back when murder was passed in March of 2021, it took away criminality for the lowest level offenses, meaning possession of small personal use amounts and for um, you know smoking in public, which was a violation and, a, and a, a low level crime. When it was burning back in the day, it was a B misdemeanor. And, and people of color would get picked up all the time for this type of enforcement. It was a routine arrest in especially in the city boroughs and of course on Long Island as well when murder passed it changed the penal law to reclassify cannabis crimes now people can possess up to three ounces of cannabis and it is uh, expected that once the regulatory market is in full um, in a full go position that one can really possess as much as up to five pounds, not on their person, but in their home. This is a tremendous amount of cannabis. And for, for us former prosecutors and criminal defense attorneys back in the day to hear this type of, of amount that would be lawful possession would just shock anyone's conscience. Now, Liz, I thought it was three plants per person. I mean, am I, am I misreading the law? You're not misreading the law. So in addition to possession of cannabis uh, product, meaning um, cannabis flower in pre-rolls or in gummy bears or in any kind of a, um, you know, a, a tangible purchase, you as a consumer, whether you are a medical patient or just a person in New York State, may possess three plants, sorry, three plants per person. So uh, you can have three adults and three um, 
immature plants, up to six plants total per person, up to 12 plants total per household. And let me explain. Medical patients may already possess that number of plants. However, if you're not a medical card holder through New York, you may not have one of those plants or have those types of home grow plants until 18 months after the first store opened. So count 18 months from last December, 2022. 18 months from then, home grow will start to take shape. And that is what they're accounting for with the, with the large quantity that one may possess in their home. Now it's funny, Liz, I talked to our grower yesterday and I said, well, how big is a cannabis plant and what does it weigh? And he says, the average plant weighs 40 pounds. So apparently here I had this vision, just like I grow tomatoes in my backyard in the summer of this tiny, tiny little uh, item growing from the ground. But they said, oh, no, each and every one of them requires 40 pounds of soil in order for them to get the nutrients that they need. So, uh, you know, six plants in the house is, is a lot of plants and a lot of soil and a lot of uh, a it lot of room it's going to take. Inside the house, it could be outside the house too, and those are the mature plants, Jerry. Those are the those are the more mature plants. Right. Um, but it is pretty interesting how flexible the law will allow. So essentially, it's another nod to cannabis really not being in any way. Uh, a matter for criminal law when people can possess that many plants. Again, back from my experience, anybody having cannabis plants in their closet or outside or whatever, this could have become a, you know, a full-blown raid back in the 80s and 90s and early aughts in New York. Um, clearly, we've represented clients too that that were um, you know jailed for this type of behavior. Um, and now this will become very commonplace in the months and years to come. Um, but in terms of the way the penal law changed, it did change. The sale of cannabis to an under 21-year-old is still a crime, okay? It's still a crime to sell more than the allotted quantity to an individual. That's also a crime. It's a crime to sell a non-regulated product. That's a crime. Meaning what? meaning a product that did not come from a regulated licensed dispensary, or in this case, potentially one of our farmers who, who is able to sell cannabis from his farm stand because of the log jam of um, you know, the rollout of, of authorized dispensaries. Um, and really the criminality escalates based upon weight. And that is where this becomes interesting because if an illegal store is raided for, t for the tax uh, consequences that they are not collecting the the appropriate sales tax on those items. It could be argued that the raid, the collection of the materials that are involved in that could also be subject to criminal penalty because of the sheer weight of the volume of the product that is on the shelves. That's pretty interesting. But I do know that in this bill that the legislature passed, they also put in a new definition of tax fraud. Yeah. Uh, you know, to go after these right. 1800 or 4000 stores around the state. Yep. But, you know, whether whether this is going to make, uh, you know, anybody more afraid. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it's worth pointing out, though, Liz, that when you have these 1800 or the 4000 stores, take your number. Um, a lot of these stores are owned by the same people. So you've, you've got people out there today who have 12 smoke shops, 15 smoke shops. So, you know, the enforcement of this, um, I don't know, I'm still skeptical. So I'm not, and I think this is gonna be the, the crime of 2023. I think that you'll see a lot of this go up in smoke 
um, and you're going to see padlocks on the doors. And I think that, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. But certainly Nassau and Suffolk counties did not wait for the governor to act. They have been closing down these shores, these stores rather, since the inception of MURDA. I think now this authorizes city enforcement, and I look forward to seeing what happens next. All right. Well, you know, we I think we have every right to be skeptical, but the answer is this is step one. Now, the medical marijuana industry, uh, when they passed the, the state budget, uh, has already said, you know, the, the penalties are not strong enough. They're not doing enough. Um, I think only time will tell. Uh, they can bring the legislature back, if you will, if they think that, you know, something else should be done. But the fact of the matter is, is that to date, the uh, this noble experiment of a cannabis in New York hasn't really been such a great success. We're, I'm going to still believe in this process, and I'm going to believe in, in the future of medical cannabis and recreational adult use cannabis in New York State. I think there is a tremendous opportunity. I just think the state has to start acting faster. Well, all right, Lisa, you know, we've, we've covered a lot in a short time, but the fact of the matter is they're finally going after you know, after after those varmints who are out there selling pot um, uh, illegally uh, and hopefully in our next uh, section next week, you know, we'll have some new and fresh information about the lawsuits that are pending. What else is going on with enforcement and what else to expect in the cannabis industry? So, Liz, in behalf of yourself and myself, thanks for watching Cannabis. Uh, Hope you're listening. And if anytime you have a question, please feel free to call 516-663-6600 and ask for either one of us. Thank you. You've been tuning into Cannabis New York with your hosts, Elizabeth Case and Jerry Kremer from the law firm of Ruskin Moscow Falticek. You can find the show about updated cannabis insights at www.rmfpc.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments, questions, and for sharing this show with others. The information presented by Ruskin Moscow Faultcheck PC cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. This podcast is made available by the lawyer or law firm for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By using this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the podcast publisher. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. 